All right. I gotta talk fast because I like to talk long. I don't like to take long to necessarily take up your time. I just like to talk long because I don't got nothing else to do. I'm not flying back till Tuesday. So you're like, I gotta get home and watch some rugby or something. I do want to just talk to you this morning because it is difficult for me. I, uh, I just want to tell you real quick a little bit of my testimony, and I really do want you to come back tonight because we are going to worship, and for some of you that uh, don't enjoy music as much, and um, it's not, you know, you're not thinking about coming back tonight because you don't necessarily just want to come in and sing, I need you to come tonight because really, uh, when you don't, there's a hole in the wall. And the Bible says that one puts a thousand to flight, two put ten thousand to flight. One of the difficult things is, is people don't come to church and they think, oh, they, they won't miss me, or, oh, man, you know, I, I don't go tonight. And you think it just affects you, but it doesn't. Somebody else needed to hear your voice. When you come to church, you actually come for other people. David said this, he said, come, let's exalt his name together. There's a power to you coming in and doing this together. And tonight, I really believe as we worship, I believe healing is going to happen in this place. I believe tonight as we worship, some chains are going to be broken. Some of you that have been tired and beat down, I believe that you're going to walk out feeling stronger. So I hope that you'll come tonight. I love to have fun. James is going to share a little bit of his testimony and what God's done in his life. He just found out, so he's, now he's going to be thinking about that the whole time, which is great. No, I... Got to love putting people on the spot. But I think, I'm sweating like, I sweat sitting in front of an air conditioner though, so it doesn't really matter. I am, um, like I said, I'm obviously from America, but I came from um, my mom, and um, like all of you did, not from my mom, but <laughs> if you did, then we're all family. This is weird. <laughs> I was born in a place called Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, and um, my mom was my mom and dad pastored a church. My grandparents, my great grandparents, pastored a church. My great grandfather pastored a church, and my great great grandfather pastored a church. On both sides, um, my grandparents were pastors. I've grown up in church my whole life, and and my, I have a legacy of pastors. And you know, um, I'll just cut to the chase for me. That wasn't really exciting for me. Growing up in church was painful for me. Uh, I grew up in a church that I would probably call Baptocostal. Um, we were allowed to uh, speak in tongues, but it was only a night when there were no visitors and none of our church. <laughs> and um, it was the kind of church, personality-wise, it's not my personality really to get up here and sing out and really go for things. It was really my personality more. It was more of like if you got your hand to this level, you were living a sacrifice of praise. You know what I mean? Because you're looking around like, oh, man, I'm really breaking through. You know, I'm really breaking. Oh, and if you got to this level, you were radical. If you got both hands up, you're out. You know, we're kicking you out of the church. It's like too much. And that's just the type of church we were. We were not an outward church. We were not very, we did not see manifestations of God. We did not really see anything of God. <laughs> and, um, and my dad was pastoring it. And I went through the process, and I just wanted to be a good kid, and I just tried to do the right things. And I got into Bible college, and when I was going through Bible college, uh, my junior year, I met my wife, who just went back. She wished she wanted to be here with you, but she'll have to next time. She'll, you'll get to meet her. Uh, we've got three kids back home, and after a week and a half, our uh, my in-laws, uh, I still wanted them to like me, and so I sent my wife back to take care of my kids because um, my grand my, or their grandparents are um, they're they're not as young. Is that a nice way to say it, Pastor Mike? Okay, I'm just trying to be careful. I know you just had a birthday, and I was surprised they had cameras when you were a baby, so I was like, I didn't, I just, I, uh, <laughs> it was hand-drawn. It was like the Mona Lisa, and uh, <laughs> I'm bad, and um, that was really bad. I shouldn't have done that. Never do it to the pastor, you know, but um, 
I knew he could take it because yesterday, he didn't say it to you, but yesterday he said to us, don't, you know, I don't want you to be a melancholy worship leader and treat Jesus like he's a woman with a beard, you know. And I know some of those women, and I don't want that either, you know. So <laughs> it's, not, it's not good. But um, speaking of my mother-in-law, when, no, I just, oh, that was bad. I just get, oh, oh, uh, oh, man. If you ever tell my mother-in-law I said that, I will kill you. You out of the band, out of the band. No more trip for you. Man, I should not have said that. All right, how do I recover? So, um, so I met, I met actually my wife in college, and we just started dating. And she said, "Hey, you want to go check out this revival with me?" And so we went to this revival. And the only thing I knew of a revival was a three-day meeting, you know, where you go, you realize, you know, they, they, they convince you that you are a backslider and you need to get saved again, you know, and the second day you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit, and the third day we're going to send you out into all the world, even though two days ago I was a sinner, and now I'm going to all the world, and so that was, that was my revival growing up. Well, when I walked to this, when I got to this revival, it was called the Smithton Revival. It was actually in a cornfield. Um, there was nothing around it. The town was only 500 people. It didn't have a stop sign. It didn't have a vending machine. It didn't have nothing. And when the, when the revival happened, oh, in, in a period of three years, over a quarter of a million people came to that little tiny town in the middle of nowhere. The closest airport would have been probably three hours away. And we had people flying in from Singapore, from Japan, from New Zealand, from Australia, all over just to experience the presence of God in a little tiny town in the middle of the United States. Very, it seemed very inconsequential, the, the, the church did. Well, when I went, there were people that stood in line longer than most people go to church. They would stand in line for four to five hours just to get in the doors because it was so packed. When I got there, the line was all the way down the street. And um, when we got in, the church was a lot smaller than this. It was probably actually about half the size of this. So consider that it was probably about right here and about this length. And they had chairs that they pushed all the way up to the front. There were chairs all over the stage, chairs lining the walls just to try to fit people in. And then they had an overflow sanctuary, and that used to be the main sanctuary, but the floor was starting to give way, and so they had to move it into, uh, into the gymnasium and then use the main sanctuary as an overflow because the building was built in the 1890s. So it was an old building. So I walked into this place and it is packed wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder. And remember, I'm not a very outward worshiper. I'm more of a, I worship Jesus in my heart. And, and this place starts worship and it is, it is, um, I wouldn't say charismatic where it seemed like out of control. It was very unified, but they were very passionate. And they all jumped up and down, straight up and down. And I'm 300 pounds. I can't get off the ground. You know, white man can't jump. So I'm standing there like this, but it's so tight in there that my shoulders are doing this the whole time, you know. And so if I want to do it or not, I'm bouncing up and down. And the, it was crazy. Their worship went on for uh, almost two hours. Then, then they had um, testimonies, and the testimonies went for over an hour. There were so many people getting touched by the presence of God, even just during worship, with nobody praying for them, not including the night before. Well, what I didn't know at the time was the services went um, from about 7 o'clock to about midnight, five hours, and they happened six days a week. For three years, they had services six days a week, and, for, and they were about five-hour services. That didn't include prayer. The service got over about midnight, and then people didn't leave from prayer until about 2 in the morning. So this was a place that was about 100 people, and now it's packed with about 1,000 people, and it is so intense in worship, I'm actually pretty turned off by it. And I'm thinking like, oh, man, this is over the top. This is emotionalism. I don't want to have to do this. I don't like this. And then the pastor got up and preached, and he preached a message that, that was, I remember, I don't remember what he preached that first time, but I remember it being powerful, and I thought, I've never heard anything like this. I've been in church my whole life. I've been in Bible college studying as my junior year, and I've never heard anything like this. So I was pretty blown away by the message. But what freaked me out was when he said, and if you want this, I want you to get up here now. And the entire place, I'm not talking about a couple people. People got up and ran over people. They jumped over people in wheelchairs to get to the front. And I'm thinking, like, that's rude, you know. And 
But you know what? There was a desperation I had never seen before, and they were running. I didn't know what to call it at the time, but they're falling on their faces. Some people are crying. Some people are laughing. Some people are dancing. Some people are falling. Some people are standing, and I am in the middle of a war zone, and I'm standing there like, oh, and so I just ran to the side because I'm like, I don't want none of this, you know, and I'm standing over to the side, and I am sick to my stomach, and I'm thinking like, this ain't right. And I, my discerning spirit kicked in, you know, the one that says this is evil. And so I'm thinking, like, I do not want anything to do with this. Well, the hard thing was, was I'm there for three days with this girl I really, really like. And so I got to make a decision, you know. I can either be uncomfortable or I can lose this hot girl, you know. And I'm thinking, like, I can't lose this girl, you know. And so I went with her a second night, and the exact same thing happened. It wasn't like it was, it was you know, a repeat, but the power it was so powerful, it scared me. It really scared me. Well, the third night I went, and I remember worship being intense and everything. I would not get prayer. I ran to the side every time. Well, the third night, I remember the pastor's sermon. And the pastor's sermon, he actually called it Adapted to Demons. And do you remember the story in the Bible where uh, Jesus encounters the demoniac? And, and it says that the people saw him dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Well, I had never really considered that part. I always stopped where he set the, cat, the, the demoniac free because I usually heard that story at youth camp, and they related that we were the demoniacs. You know, as youth, you're, demo, you're demonic, and we're going to get you set free today. That's how I basically had heard the story. Now I hear the story, and, he's, and he goes on with it, and he says, they saw the man dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid, and they asked Jesus to leave. Then he stops, and he says, here's the problem. He says, some of you have been in this room for three days. And he said, you've heard testimony after testimony. I remember the testimonies. There was one guy there that had had a tumor on the side of his neck, a huge tumor, and it dissolved during worship. Nobody even prayed for him. Just during worship, it completely dissolved. There was a girl there that had like 12 voices, and over a, over a period of years, she had been drugged. She had all these things happening to her, and they were trying to fix her, and nobody could fix her. And in one instant of prayer, she was completely set free. She was so set free that she left the revival, drove two hours to her pastor's house at like 3 in the morning, and started banging on his door. Can you imagine being that pastor? Knowing this lady for eight years, and her banging on your door, and rolling over your wife like, I ain't answering it. I don't know who I'm going to answer. You know, who's going to be there? You know, who's going to, who am I going to be talking to this time? But he said he remembered, the pastor came back to the revival the next night because he said, I remember opening the door and looking in her eyes and knowing she was set free. I had heard all these testimonies through those three days and the pastor stood up and he said, here's the problem. He said, some of you have sat in here and you've called this evil and you've been scared to death. And he said, but you weren't scared of them when they were sick. You weren't scared of them when they were divorcing. You weren't scared when a pastor was ready to leave his pastorate because he was so broken down by the church and by the people. You weren't afraid of them then. You weren't afraid of a girl with 16 or 12 voices as long as you could keep her at a distance. He says, don't worry. If you want Jesus to leave you alone, he will. And I'll never forget him making the statement. He said, you've always been taught Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He said, the problem is he wasn't talking to you. He was talking to someone who was following him. And I thought, well, that's not very nice, <laughs> you know. But I knew he was talking to me because here's the truth of it. My mom and dad, when I was 15 years old, ended up divorcing. The church fell apart. There was hypocrites, backbiting. It was evil, evil what they did to my parents. So much that it ended up dividing my whole family but here's where the sickness is. I sat in a church and experienced the power of God and defended my religion, even though the religion tore my family apart. Now I'm de defending what I think I know, even though it has no life to it, just because it was different. So I stood off to the side, and I remember standing. Prayer happened, and I still would not get prayer. I was so scared to get prayer. I stood off to the side, and I remember my girlfriend's mom walking over to me. She took me by the hand and she said, I think you should get prayer. And I said, I think I'm okay. <laughs> 
And, I, and she gave me that look that basically said, you'll never see my daughter again unless you come, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, even my father-in-law later, he's a pastor too, and I remember uh, I asked him to rebaptize me after all this had happened, and I said, I've been I was baptized when I was seven, but would you baptize me again? So he said, I'd love to. So we stood in church, and he you know, got me in the tank, and he looked out at the crowd, and he says, um, would everybody just sit back? He said, um, I'm going to need a few minutes. I'm going to hold him under until I know he's clean, <laughs> you know? So that's my in-laws. Um, but she didn't give me a choice. She took me by the hand, and she pulled me up front. And I remember standing there so scared when somebody came to pray for me. I didn't know how to handle it. The only thing I could think of, and this shows you how religious I was, all I could think of is don't open your eyes because your eyes will melt out of your head. I'm not joking. I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Anybody else see that movie? That's freaky, you know, and his face is all melting. And I'm, I'm not joking. This is how religious I was. But here, this is how powerful it was. This is what I felt. I wouldn't have called it powerful at the time. Uh, I thought it was wrong. But now I recognize how powerful it is because this guy stood in front of me, didn't touch me, and he began to speak to every religious root that had ever been dug into my life. And I'm thinking, like, I'm not the religious freak here. You're the religious freak. I'm normal. You guys are, Wah! and I'm like, mm, you know. He began to speak to every religious root, and he began to speak to everything that had dug itself into my life that had kept me from experiencing God. And I remember hearing his words, and I remember hearing him burn in me, and I could feel it in my gut. And all of a sudden, he said, and as I tear out every root, I pray for more of the presence of God. And as soon as he felt as soon as he said that, I felt like a million gallons of water just dumped on me, and I fell face down on the floor. And I wasn't sitting there going, oh, man, this is a glory moment. Woohoo! I was laying on the floor screaming, if this is so real, why am I so afraid? I was scared. I didn't know how to handle it. I, didn't, I was always taught that Jesus was a dove. The Holy Spirit's a dove. Like, he'll just sit on you really nice and whisper sweet nothings into your ear. And if this was a dove, it was big. Big dove, weighty dove. And it squashed me to the floor. And I laid on the floor and I cried out, if this is so real, why am I so afraid? And I'll never forget the moment I heard his voice for the first time. And he said, you're afraid because for 21 years of your life you've been in church, but you've never been in my presence. And see, for my theology at that time, I would have said God is omniscient. He is everywhere. He is all. But the problem is, is the Bible says this. The Bible says his eyes are seeking the earth, seeking a people whose hearts are completely his, that he might show himself strong on their behalf. You know, the problem is, is that I grew up in church, and I still had never experienced the presence and the power of God. I went through the motions. I did the stuff. I came in trying to be good. I showed up for church every Sunday. And now God is wanting to have a real encounter with my life, and I'm rejecting it because it's different. The problem is, is I realize all of us walk into this room with a perspective, and our perspective is so limited, and yet at times we believe this is what it is. This is all it is. This is all I can experience. This is the greatest I can experience. The problem is, is your perspective is so limited by your experiences. It's limited by, by your by your resources. It's limited by your time. Even your time on earth, some of you waste time because you think you have it. And then those of you at the end of your life, you're thinking, I got to catch up on some things I haven't gotten to do because your time is limited and now you know it. The problem is our perspective dictates our response. And at that moment, my perspective, my perspective, it dictated my response so much that I had no response for him. Everything I did was thought this was for me, that it's just for me to go away someday. I just got to be good so I go to heaven. But I was making no impact on earth because I gave him no space. I gave him no time and I gave him no room. Yeah, I came to church. I came to church on Sunday and I tried to be good. The problem is, is he couldn't use me. But I didn't know he wanted to. Now, all of a sudden, I had experienced something that ruined me, and I realized, I, wanna, I want that. Whatever happened to me on that floor, I want that. And now, from that time, which was about 18 years ago, I've been a pursuer of his presence. What you see up here is you don't see a guy who just sings songs. I had somebody the other day ask me on a, on a podcast, how do you make songs you know, stay fresh to you? And I said, how do they get old to you? 
See, when I, I, with my relationship with my wife, saying I love you can't get old. I watch my grandparents married for 60 years look at each other's eyes and say I love you, and I know they mean it. Well, you didn't say it right that time. I love you. I want to be with you. I realized my experience with God had limited me for so long that now I feel like I'm making up time. But here's the problem when I walk into churches, I feel like sometimes we're still dictated in our responses by our traditions. And I want to just read this scripture so you know that I know some of the Bible. It says this in the book of Mark, chapter 7, verse 5. Now let's start at verse 6. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. The problem is, is I didn't realize when I walked into the room that I had been so dictated by my traditions and now God was trying to move my heart and move me into some of the, his stuff, into what he was doing, yet I was so dictated by the traditions of the way I was trained, the way I was taught. So he started training me this way, and these are good for some of you, and this is not always fun, but he said this. He said, where in my word did I say to bow your head and close your eyes when you pray? Ah, boo. The problem is, if I said in here, let's pray, almost every one of you would bow your head and close your eyes. Right? Around the world. It's very, very common. The problem is, it's not in the Bible. But the Bible does say this, shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Let all men lift holy hands in the sanctuary. Bow to the Lord your maker. Well, here we do. What do we do? We grab onto something that's not in the word of God and make that our standard. And while the things of the word of God are very true and we say we believe in it, we drop it and hold on to this. How about this one? Well, that doesn't fit my personality. Not in the Bible. Personality worship, not in the Bible. How about this one? I worship Jesus in my heart. Not in the Bible. You know what the Bible says? From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. While I'm very encouraged by your worship and your outwardness here, I start realizing, yeah, but where are our limits? You know, traditions isn't the only thing that limits us. I, I wrote down three things when I walked in here, and I won't go long. I'm almost done. But the first one was traditions because all of us, start to get into a mode where it's no longer moved by our heart and our responses by our heart. We start moving it by our personalities and what we like. But the second thing is this, individualism. A thing that comes in and says, I get to do it my way. That's not in the Bible. Even this morning I got up and I'm reading on my phone. Every morning a scripture pops up. And it says, let us do away with every argument and things that divide us. You know, 2 Corinthians says this. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are mighty. You know what it's mighty for? To tear down every stronghold, argument, and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So I watch people all the time walking into churches, and they just want to get their own way. The problem is, is that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's why you have a pastor. Oh, man. It gets quiet. It's all funny when you're talking about somebody else. But here's the problem. The Bible says submit to your authorities. And you know when submission begins? Submission starts when you disagree. You know when you agree, it's called agreement. And now he calls you to submit. And that only happens when you disagree. You know why? Because when you disagree and you still submit, it shows that you can be under authority. And it shows when God asks you to do something you don't necessarily like, you're still going to do it because you learn to submit to authority. 
So God places authority in our lives, but we're so driven by the individual. But this is the problem. You can say, listen, people come in all the time. They close their eyes, and they say, I just want it to be me and God, you know, me and God today. The problem is Jesus says this. He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So I started realizing in my life and what God wanted to do in me, God could not do it into me if I held on to just my traditions, if I could not walk in and just made it about me. But I came all the way from America, not just to try to tell you something or show you something, but to link shields with you, to try to find other people around the world that are going to break out of tradition, to find young people who aren't going to just be dictated about how they feel or just dictated by what's happening in culture. But you start to find people like a Daniel, like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that start setting themselves apart that say, I want to make a difference in this world, but we cannot make a difference in this world just following our traditions and just being selfish. We got to find churches that are willing to lay down their lives and willing to lay down their time and lay down their energies, not be consumed by just what they think is right or wrong, but get behind pastors, get behind leaders and say, we want to make a difference in this community. We want to make a difference in New Zealand. There's no reason you shouldn't be taking New Zealand. I'm looking in your eyes this morning and I'm thinking like, what is holding this place back? I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about Orange. I mean, not Orange. That's where I was at last time. Napier. Where am I at? Hastings. Yeah! And Orange, too. Am I in Orange County? That's what I said. I'm not. We're in Apple City. We're comparing apples and oranges. I don't even know where I'm at anymore. Am I in New Zealand? The problem is I'll get back to America, and I'll be like, why are we not taking New Zealand? And they'll be like, well, I don't know. Why aren't we, you know? It's beautiful there. Let's go. <laughs> they all want to move here. But you know what? This is a message for all of us because it doesn't matter your age. You know what? We act like sometimes this is about a younger generation, but the problem is is we need fathers and we need mothers who can stand and say, run, 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 run. Not, oh, don't worry, they'll calm down. Why do you want them to calm down? This is a kingdom that's advancing forcefully and forceful men lay hold of it. This church should be taking this city. The church should be taking this nation. But we're not going to do it by just fitting into our traditions and just fitting into our patterns. It's time for us to awaken our hearts and awaken our lives that we are an army. It's time for us to start taking justice. It's time for us to start taking mercy. Amos 5.23 says, I'm tired of your religious feasts and I'm sick of your songs. When's the last time you just sang to me? He says, you know what I want? I want justice to flow like a river. I want mercy to run like a stream. So here we are in this room today, and I'm going to end with a song. I'm just going to sing one more song over you to end, and then hopefully tonight you'll come back, and I'm going to pray for some of you. I feel like God has given me a word for a couple of you, and if you don't show up tonight, I'll give it to somebody else. <laughs> but here's the deal. God's calling us to raise a standard and raise, raise up what we're doing, but here's the deal. No longer do we walk in thinking our songs are just songs or just words, but now they're weapons and now they're tools to demolish every stronghold, every argument that's tried to separate this church, that's tried to build walls of division. You know what we do? We unify ourselves as one voice. We unify ourselves as one man. When we walk into this place from the youngest to the oldest, we come in and we speak life. We speak health. We speak hope. And when we say these words, we're not just saying it for ourselves, but we're saying it so the person next to us can hear it. We're saying it so we can be gathered together with one heart, with one mind. And I believe as we do it with the intent, just like we do with our kids. When my three-year-old, you know, smacks my eight-year-old, and I go, that's illegal in New Zealand. You're not allowed to smack each other. I say, tell him you're sorry. And he goes, I'm sorry. Uh, that's not going to work. I need you to tell him again. I'm sorry. Hmm. Maybe I can influence that. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? There's an intent behind it. 
And when we walk into this room, our intent is not to be self-driven. Our intent is not to be driven by our traditions. Our intent is to be moved by the hand of God. And as we pour out our lives and we pour out ourselves, we believe that justice is coming. We believe that mercy is flowing. And those of you in this room that are sick, I believe as we sing, I believe as we declare, I believe as we open up our hearts and our lives to the kingdom of God, that he wants to move in and he wants to shift some things in us. I believe right now in this season for this church that God is actually bringing you more together than he is pulling you apart. I'm going to ask the guys to come up. Walking in this room, I told Pastor Mike when we walked in, I said, it feels really good in here. I said, it feels really good in here. I asked the guys yesterday, you want to move? And James is like, yeah, I want to move. I asked my wife, and she's like, yeah, I want to move. <laughs> my kids, they, have, they don't know where I'm at. I say New Zealand, they think it's another state, you know, until I show them the beach, and they're like, we don't have those here. <laughs> but you know what? What happens here directly affects me in the United States because this isn't an international battle. When I fight for my youth, when I fight for my kids, I'm fighting for your kids. We have other religions that are willing to spend time and energy focusing their kids for the battle to come. And here we sit, just sitting back, enjoying ourselves not recognizing we're in the heat of the battle. You can say you don't want to be a part of it, but you're in it. And I believe God is wanting to equip you. God is wanting to train you. God is wanting to raise you up. I believe you have been given leaders in your lives to help pull you together. I believe the people sitting in this room can shift this entire city in a day. I be Listen to this. I believe... Just like in Smith and Missouri, I don't say, I don't know that I've ever said this. I believe in this city that people could be lined up down this street just waiting to get in the doors and you can't fit them all in. But see, that doesn't happen because you showed up to sing a song. That shows up because, that, that happens because you showed up to administer justice. And you didn't show up for yourselves anymore. We didn't come in here just to sit around. We came in here to serve. We came in here to shift nations.